Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm grateful you could be with me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. In today's conversation, we're going to be talking about those times when our kids are really difficult and defiant and maybe acting out in ways that are really troubling to us. I'm joined here by Kimball Lewis, and Kimball heads up an organization called Empowering Parents and is here to talk with us about consequences and accountability in helping our kids go the right direction. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present, And the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. When our kids are acting out in really destructive ways, there is this pervasive sense of powerlessness that can come along with that experience in not only knowing what to do, but not knowing if it's going to work or if we're going to be able to help our child go in the right direction. One of the things I find so encouraging about Kimball's advice in this is the fact that these are things that kids could go through whether or not they were in a single parent family or a two parent family. And that when we know that, then we can turn our attention towards focusing on the things that we can do in the scenario and partnering with God to raise our kids. Here's my conversation with Kimball Lewis. Kimball, I am so excited to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Kimball, many listeners, and myself included, often are dealing with situations where our kids are acting out. And this can be in a variety of different ways. This could be lying or manipulating This could be full-on explosive tantrums, those types of things. And we might not know exactly how to handle these situations. I wanted to know if you would start us off with looking at acting out as an indication of something else that might be going on with our child and how we can best approach these situations. Okay. So at the organization I'm with, which is empoweringparents.com, we follow the the, the teachings of, of this guy named James Lehman, who, who himself was a defiant child, had spent a few years in jail and finally got into an accountability-based program uh, where a judge was either going to send him away for a long time. I think he was 25 at the time, or, or, um, or if he completed the program, he would not get a long sentence. And he completed, it was a strong accountability-based program. He completed the sentence. He, I'm sorry, he completed the program became a counselor in the program and turned his life around. And then he became, he went on to um, Fordham University and Boston University and got his, and got his um, degree in counseling. He spent 30 years working with defiant kids and how, to de- and how do you deal with, with these kids? And he was one of them. So he, when he watches it happen, like 
he yeah. knows what's going on because he mm-hmm. was one of these kids. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of commonalities. And what he developed as a as a therapist working with parents was basically a how-to guide. How do you deal with defiance? And also what causes it? Like what is going on? And fundamentally, what James Lehman taught was that for most kids that are having behavior problems, they use it as a problem-solving skill. Hmm. They, they face problems. When I say problems, I mean like emotional problems, like anger. Anger is a problem. Everyone gets angry. How you deal with it as a problem is, is your problem-solving skills. Frustration is a problem. Um, social skills are a problem. If you don't, you know, a lot of a lot of kids don't have good social cues. They they get other kids angry at them. They don't understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then functional problems. How do you put down your electronics to do your homework or or meet your responsibilities? Those are the kind of basic problems that that kids face. And early on, some kids figure it out, but some kids don't. And for the kids that don't, their go-to problem-solving skill is to act out. And the and the and the reason they do it is it actually works for them early on. Mm. Um, and you can see it like from, for parents coming home and they're, they're, they're really frustrated with their child. Um, their child's supposed to be doing chores or doing something around the house. And you know, you know, on your way home from work, that is not going to be done. And in your mind, you're having a fight already about how you're going to fight with your child. And then you tell yourself, look, my life is going to be way easier if I just do the chores for them and absolve them of that responsibility. It's way more work to argue and fight one more time than it is to hold them accountable and do this thing. So they, so they don't hold them accountable. And there's for good reason. They're frustrated that they're worn out or whatever. But what the child learns is that their, their go-to problem-solving skill, which was to act out, to yell, to scream or whatever, it actually worked for them. Mm-hmm. And it's tolerable you know, when you're six, seven, eight, nine years old, when your problems are not that big, your problems are just you know, go to bed on time or electronics. But as you hit adolescence, your relationships become more complex through school, your responsibilities increase. You start dealing with people outside the home. And if you haven't developed these good problem-solving skills for, for dealing with these basic, basic things in life about social skills and functional skills, then your acting out to solve your problem has to go to a higher and a higher and a higher level. And as you hit adolescence, usually you see it with these parents um, that are struggling with this. They tolerated it early on. It wasn't that bad. But they hit adolescence and all the stuff that goes on in adolescence, things just get way worse. And the kids don't have good problem-solving skills. And, and the problem solving skills that they do have are destructive. They hurt other people, they're abusive mm-hmm. and, and parents aren't sure what to do. And then the kids actually don't know how to solve these problems either. So mm-hmm. it's a, so there's several things going on here, but fundamentally they're acting out to solve a problem that they have. And it's a, it's a poor life skill. It's not, it, it actually works. It works with mom. It doesn't yeah. work in school very well. It doesn't work yeah. in society very well. And these kids end up struggling. I think that is so encouraging though, to see this as basically a set of problem-solving skills that they're using. Because I think very often we may go to this place of, oh my goodness, my child is a bad kid. Or, oh my goodness, I'm a bad mom. And that can get this shame spiral going that then we start to blame ourselves. And I think that's even where some of this overcompensation comes in that on the one hand, it is easier if I just handle it myself, as you mentioned. But on Mm -hmm. the other hand, it's like, well, I've kind of created this situation and maybe even for our life circumstances, we may feel some blame for that. And so it's one of these things that we just feel like sometimes, well, if I, if I take care of this, it'll be easier for my kid. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been through a lot already um, yep. and not really then recognizing how do we get out of this stream that we've kind of got ourselves into, but by saying like, okay, maybe my child does not have a developed skill set for dealing with the emotional problems, then that means I can 
shift away from the, the blame game and get away from that shame spiral and say, okay, maybe then I can get some skills to help my kid get some skills. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly. There's there's actually a lot to un- you covered a lot of topics there that, uh, that that I would love to go into a little bit more on and and one of them is this idea of like guilt. The parent feels guilt. They feel they haven't parented their child right. And I have a couple couple things to say on that. One is we have so many parents that come to us that have that have three kids. One of them's really difficult. The other two are fine. It's not like it's not like they were a really good parent for two kids, and mm-hmm. then and suddenly they did something wrong with the other kid. These kids are different. So kids are born different mm-hmm. and parents they have a, that have a hard child it's not their fault like they they got a they got a child they didn't expect some kids are easy some kids no matter what they're going to figure it out on their own and the parents might feel like they're you know they're probably good parents and we're talking the parents I'm talking about I'm discussing this are what we call good enough parents mm. they don't have like serious uh abuse problems mm-hmm. or alcohol problems or whatever. they're just decent people trying to get by and they have a kid who's really difficult and, and James Lehman explains this because this is the same thought process that he went through and remembers this is that when the parent starts to blame themselves for the child's behavior, the child figures it out. Oof. And, I, and one of two things happen, either, either they use it to manipulate the parent or, or they believe that it really is the parent's fault and that they can't help their own behavior and mm. that they don't have control anymore, that they're damaged because of what mom or, or dad or, or whoever did, and that they don't have control over the situation. So. That's not to say there aren't difficult situations, but when you take when you take accountability for your child's behavior, your, ta- your, your child is not taking accountability for that behavior. And, and the truth is, your child is the only person who can change their behavior. You can't, you can't make your child behave correctly any more than you can go to the gym and exercise for your child and your child will get in the shape. It doesn't work that way. Your child is the only one who can change that. And when you and when you it's just not effective. So we always talk about effective versus ineffective. It's not effective to blame yourself for your child's, especially abusive, obnoxious behavior, swearing at you, that kind of stuff. You need to hold the accountability on your child in those situations. That's the only, that's the only way. That's the only way out of this. Mm. Um, I think that's so critical to understand that this accountability piece. And I'd, I'd love if you would explore that more, because I think we're not maybe always sure. How do we do that? How do we hold a child accountable for those types of things? We know maybe that there is something going on under the surface. So it's, it's kind of this, like, how do we address that through the way that we deal with that particular behavior? Well, first of all, if you're, if you're having a child that really is, has serious problems, most of the parents that come to us, they're at their wits end. That's why they come to us. It's not like it happened once. It's happened like 10 times. Yeah. A hundred times. It's been happening for a year or it's been happening for the last six months. A lot of times it happens, seems like it happens all at once. But like within a week, the child changes and, and suddenly they're they're a different child. Um, but they need to be holding accountability just means that their behaviors have actual consequences and, and natural consequences. Like there are natural consequences of not studying, which is that you fail. And there's certain things that parents that parents do that we talk about in our programs that's effective and non-effective. And so one example is saving your child from failure. is not good. Like it doesn't like, if you're like, if a child failed a class, it doesn't help them for mom to go in, talk to the teacher, try to get them to pass. Like it's, they just, they can learn through it. There's tons of kids who failed classes that went on to become perfectly fine adults. 
But if, but if they go on and they learn that mom or dad always bails them out whenever they have a problem, that's not good. So you want to hold the accountability on them so that when they do something and it causes a problem, the, the problem comes back and causes them a problem. And that, that goes back to the whole problem solving issue, which is that they have poor problem solving skills. You want to make sure that those poor problem solving skills don't work for them anymore. That's part of the accountability piece. So when they act out, they don't get what they want. In fact, it get, makes things worse for them. And the problem is, this is how this is when we coach and work with parents is we, we tell them to make sure to hold them accountable. But you also, when things are calm, you need to offer them and coach them as to how they solve those problems better next mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and not turn to abusive or acting out behavior. So it's, it's a combination. It's making, it's making sure that the current behaviors don't work anymore to solve their problems. That's the accountability piece. And then there's the coaching piece where you, you help them through better ways to, to deal with those issues in the future. And it takes a while. It takes, it takes some time mm-hmm. of coaching them because a lot of times these are, these are behaviors that have been, and behavior patterns that have been you know, formed over you know, a considerable amount of time. So you have to be patient with your child. Yeah. I think one of the things that's really complicated for, especially in a single parent scenario, is that accountability. We may be looking at this and going, okay, I can grow in this, but maybe they do have another parent who yeah. is somewhere else who is, as you mentioned, neglectful, abusive, that if they are able to spend time with them, but that accountability is being undermined yeah. or, you know, for example, perhaps there is that go between even with a school, you know, so the child is learning, okay, well, I can play one set of rules over here at the school. And if my homework never makes it home, then my mom can't hold me accountable if she doesn't know what I chucked in the trash on the way home. Right. You wouldn't know. What, yeah. Yeah. So what suggestions do you have though in that in that gap space that so many of us find ourselves dealing with? Yeah, especially with it in all honesty, it's in a situation where where you have a single mom and there's and there's another there's a parent and the child goes to another home with another set of rules. It's, a, it's one of the most difficult situations and we don't sugarcoat it. It's not easy, but we, we just, we always push that you do the effective things and avoid the ineffective things. Mm-hmm. And one of the effective things is, is understanding that you don't make the rules in that other household. You don't, and you can't, and, and we just, otherwise, if, if you think you can, you're going to beat yourself up and get really, really frustrated. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you you make the rules in your own home and you have to explain that to your child. But what as long as it's not an abuse situation, if it's an abuse situation, obviously you contact the authorities or something like mm-hmm. that. But if it's you just don't agree with how they're they handle certain things in the household, you actually don't have a say on that. If, if you have a good relationship with the other parent, that's that's the best case scenario if you can keep a good relationship and somehow, and especially if you both have the same aims that you want your child to behave well. You may disagree on the approach. Mm-hmm. But you're way ahead of the game if you both agree the child has a behavior problem. You both want to try to improve that situation. Um, but but letting parents know and and moms know that they don't make the rules in their house is actually a fairly important thing to, to understand because it it helps it helps um, them temper their expectations and refocus their energies on the things that they do control, which is the rules in their own household, and then do an effective effective parenting in their old house, in their own household about holding accountability and those things. And you're reminding me as you're talking about, about the accountability piece too, is that, is that a lot of parents stop holding these kids accountable and the kids notice it. They they notice that they're suddenly not being held accountable because Mm. essentially people have given up on them. Yeah. They think they're damaged Mm. and other, other kids who have behaved most, most of the time pretty well 
they still get disciplined when whatever, and they start thinking they're defective. Yeah. Aww. Because now suddenly like they don't even, it's I'm not even worth like, not even worth, but, but like, I'm so far gone that the rule, they don't even, they're not even going to apply the rules to me anymore. Like the adults in my life don't even believe in me anymore. So exactly. Yes. Why bother? No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they don't believe in me, how can I believe? And, and I'm just mm-hmm. a child. How do I know? Like maybe they must be the ones who, you know, they're older, they have wisdom. They yeah. must know that I'm, that I'm, you know, that I can't be held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. So all that stuff sends, sends messages to them that, and actually, I think a lot of parents don't have, they forget what it was like at that age and they forget mm-hmm. that they very often have come around and, and have improved. So I think sometimes too, we have a short term approach to this that we feel like, well, if a consequence is going to work, then it'll work the first time or maybe the third yeah. time. And I think some, <laughs> something that I'm coming to, you know, over the course of raising my kids is this is just a lifestyle. This is something that you don't know if your kid is going to pick this up on the fourth try or the 4,000th try, but that it's a, if we have a long game mentality and just, as you said, you know, talking about these are patterns. So it needs to be that X behavior elicits X response or Y response. Then I just know that God will have his timing for when he's going to reach this kid's heart, but it might not be today. (laughs) And that's actually one of the things that that's why part of the reason the coaching is helpful is that you can talk to someone like, here's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And you have someone to, to be thoughtful about, okay, that sounds like the right thing. Let's, let's try to keep doing that for a couple more weeks and see if things get better. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, then maybe you adjust somehow mm-hmm. and you, and you try to work on something that will or whatever, but it could be that you're doing the right things. Mm-hmm. You just need to stay the course. Mm-hmm. Or as you said, you try it once or twice and it didn't work. You're like, Oh, well, that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, yeah. I went, I went to the gym yesterday and not in shape. Uh, that's, <laughs> I think that's a very good parallel. So the gym. <laughs> it is. It, it's so the good. same. It's just like you can't work out for your child. You can't go mm. to the gym for someone else. You can't mm. go to the gym and work out and sudden and then and then do that for. There's only yeah. There's only one person who's done something for everyone else. <laughs> That's good. That's and save really the good. rest of us. Only That's one person. Right. That's really the good. The rest of us can't do that. <laughs> Can I keep going? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> right, so, I'm like, we'll drink from the fountain here. <laughs> well, there, there's another piece that you talked about earlier, which is about guilt. And this happened. This is sort of like blame. A lot of parents, they feel guilty, especially like in a divorce situation. They feel like they caused their child's problems because of all the stress and everything going on in the divorce. First of all, we have plenty of married parents that come to us with have with, that have kids that have struggling with behavior problems. So it's not- Every single mom just needed to hear that right now. <laughs> it's not obvious that the divorce did it. There's like a million other things that, that mm-hmm. caused it, or it might've just happened anyway. So it's mm-hmm. not, you can't just point to, oh, divorce- behavior problems. Yeah. Because we see tons of no divorce behavior problems. Like mm-hmm. that happens as well. So mm-hmm. um but just like when you when you when you take on the guilt of your child's behavior, you're not holding your child accountable. You're 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 taking responsibility for their behavior and that's not effective. Blaming your co-parent for your child's behavior is also a problem. Mm. Because your child figures that out as well. And they start realizing, oh, the reason I don't behave well, the reason I'm struggling is because of the other parent. What you want is the accountability to be on the child, not on your co-parent as mm. well. Even if you believe it, that it might not be a good situation. You might not agree with how things are going in the other household. If your child's acting out, swearing at people, you know, not have, you know, have serious motivation issues or whatever, you need to hold that on your child and not be blaming everyone else. Because it's not effective, it's not helpful for the child. It's not helpful for the situation. So that's, so that's a good, that's a big piece. Don't blame your co-parent for your child's behavior and don't blame yourself for your child's behavior. You want the accountability on your child. I think this is so empowering to talk about the things we can control 
because I think aside from blame, you know, this, the shame thing is sort of like, well, if I would have made different choices, then this wouldn't be my scenario or, yeah. if, you know, this, that, whatever. And we can play this, this, what if scenario over and over and over again. But if we're able to get to the space to say, but I still can do something, then we're not getting sidetracked by all of the could have beens and those kinds of things. And I love though that you're pointing to the fact that our kids can pick up on oh they get it this <laughs> they <laughs> so get it. <laughs> we by changing our own internal narrative not only are we shifted towards the things that we can control which is empowering for us but we're disempowering the child who would use that against us yep. and I think the thing here that I've recognized is that a lot of times the kids that are doing this they're really smart like they have the ability to discern and pick up on these cues. That if we can channel it in the right direction, these actually can be great superpowers. But sometimes, you know, in in a younger person, they're going to test the path of least resistance first. Yeah. And if we make that too easy for them, that's where this ends up feeling like like a deck that is somewhat stacked against us. I totally agree. And then, and if you have a defined like. Like the movers and shakers in the world are defiant kids. Yeah, they really right? are. Like they, they grow, <laughs> they grow up. It's not the kid that just gets along that that I, I, which makes it easy as a parent. But they're not the ones who become our business leaders and become mm -hmm. our leaders. It's the it's the it's the people that are, you know, not following the crowd and, and doing other stuff. So if they yeah. channel it, if you can channel those behaviors productively, then these are the kids that that are amazing, do amazing things. They become our leaders. They become all those things. So it's it's a you know, there's, there, I've seen a meme out there. It said, uh, I wish, I wish I invented it, but, but it says, I want my child to grow up strong-willed and independent, just not while I'm raising them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get right? that. Those things that you value with your child, you know, they stick up for themselves and they like, they don't, yeah. they don't back down. Like there's certain things that you want. You want your kid to have grit, but not mm -hmm. with mom and dad. Yeah. We, we, want yeah. Them, we want them to go easy with mom. And, yeah. and so sometimes it's hard to get, it's hard to get both of those things, but you're right. The kids figure it out. The kids know. And it, it's the same thing with diagnoses too. Like if your child has a has an ADHD diagnosis. Like obviously they, they, they know about it and they know they have certain challenges, but we all have certain challenges, but it's as using that as, as a, as a, as a blame for everything moving forward is not, is not helpful for the child. Mm -hmm. um, everyone, everyone has, has, you know, issues that they're dealing with. Some are, some are more, some are more problematic than others. But again, you, none of those, we have this thing. No, there's no excuse for abuse. None of those absolve you of responsibility to not hurt other people through your behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, that's never the case. So it's, you know, the speed limit signs don't say speed limit 55, unless you don't, you're not feeling good today or speed limit 55, unless you're a single parent, then you go, you can go hundred. Yeah. Or if you're a child of divorce, you can, you know, you can do whatever you want. It's not mm -hmm. like that, that the rules, the rules are out there for a reason. And, and, and we, we really push that the goal is good behavior no matter what your circumstances, no matter what you're feeling about yourself, no matter what your steam level is, it still doesn't give you right to, to abuse other people. Mm -hmm. And we're actually very optimistic that you're right. These kids, they, they figure it out and they also have incredible ability to change. Like I think a lot of parents underestimate, they see where their kids are, but it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. They can turn around and they do. We see, we see kids turn around all the time. Yeah. So it's not a question of, it's not a question of, of can my child turn around? It's a question of how and why does my child turn around? Because they, mm. because they almost all turn around mm. and you can, and you can get to that situation. So when it comes to the role of consequences in our discipline, can you talk a little bit to, you talked a little bit about natural consequences just a minute ago. Yep. Can you talk about 
where consequences fit in, maybe what are some of the characteristics of good consequences, especially as it pertains to holding our kids accountable? So on the, in the programs that we have, um, there's, we have an entire program called the Complete Guide to Consequences, which explains what's an effective versus an ineffective consequence. So I'll just go over a couple of them. Just, yeah. just So they should be short-term. You don't want long-term. You don't want to ground your child for a month. It doesn't teach them anything. The idea is a consequence is teaching them that their behavior caused something. But a long-term consequence only teaches your child to do time. And you do not want your child to get good at doing time. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not where you want to be. So you want short-term consequences uh, that are generally task-oriented. But short-term is like, let's say you take away, most common thing is take away their phone or electronics, that type of thing. But you want to get it back in their hands within a day or two so that the next time they act out because it takes them a while to like fix these problems that you can take it away again. You're, you're these things, mm. these consequences are your currency. And if you bankrupt your child, there's nothing left to take away. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very mindful that you don't want these, these consequences and that, and that the severity of the consequence is not what makes it effective. It's the consistency that makes it effective. That's why you can do short-term consequences, but be very consistent about it. Do it every single time. Mm-hmm. And make sure it's of consequence to the child. It can't be like a, it can't be something that's completely meaningless to them. But um, so short term and then task oriented is great too. So a, a, a consequence that where they have to complete something in order to get their privileges back. Uh, so, so one example might be if they, you know, the obvious one is if they didn't do their chores, they can't do electronics until they've completed their chores. But some of the other ones that this is something that parents might not think about is we have a lot of parents come to us where the, the child swears at them. You know, they, they literally drop F-bombs screaming at mom. I hate you. Like that's really common. And one of the, one of the things that we recommend is, you know, you can take their, that's not appropriate. First of all, that's not appropriate. There needs to be a consequence for that. Mm-hmm. But part of the consequence that makes a task oriented that we suggest is that you, is that you, you take away their electronics, something of consequence to them where they're grounded. And, and part of the consequence is that they have to write a letter to you explaining explaining to you that they understand that swearing at mom or dad is not appropriate. It's, it's against the rules in this household to swear at your parent or your sibling or whatever. And next time I get frustrated with mom or dad or my sister, here's what I'm going to do. And that's the mm-hmm. coaching part. You can coach them what that is. Your child's going to roll their eyes. It's going to seem silly. But if every single time they do this, they lose their privileges, they lose their phone until they sit down and they write out this letter saying, that this is against the rules of this household. You can be very clear with these kids that there are rules in the household and that next time, here's what I'm going to do. It starts to sink in after a while. And it, mm. it sets the, it sets the tone for the household that we have accountability um, that this, that this household has rules and we, and we're going to enforce them. And, and the letter is the task. And, and we, we actually caution parents. Don't, don't, don't have them write. I'm sorry. Because we don't believe that they are actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> we do not believe that they're sorry. What you want is is to be very effective and straightforward, actually business-like with them, which is that you write out, you know, I, I understand, you know, I understand that swearing is not appropriate in this household. And the next time, the next time I have the urge to swear, I'm going to, you know, remove, go to my room and 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 chill for like an hour or, or something, something that, that makes sure you get out of that situation where you're not swearing or, you know, and it's not just swearing. It could be like punching holes. Like parents come to us, the kids punch holes in the walls and they break yeah. stuff and they hit their siblings or whatever. But writing it out is actually very helpful because it reinforces the fact that there are rules in this household and that you want to set up a culture of accountability within your home. And that, that helps enforce it. And that's a task-oriented consequence. 
I like that you're taking the emphasis away from this, getting them to apologize, because I always tell my kids that an apology, the surest sign of an apology is changed behavior. So I'm not impressed by you telling me how sorry you are. I want to see what you're going to do differently. But I think what's great about the letter is that they're having to plan in advance for what they will, will need to do next time. And that, as you said, there's a coaching then that's somewhat preventative, that there may be a point then where the switch goes on and is like, I don't want to write another letter, (laughs) but this is what I said I could do instead. Um, I think sometimes we're like, does that really work though? Will they really someday like have that, that switch go on? Um, But it sounds like from what you're saying, when it comes to consistency, you can get there. It does. And and it sets up, it sets up the, and you want to be very business-like about it. It sets up the tone and the culture of the household. And, And related to that, we actually suggest the parents when they're having issues with kids. And again, some kids are easy. Some kids are more difficult that when you're dealing, when you're having issues where you're having lots of difficulties, you actually write the basic rules of the household down on the refrigerator Mm. and you put them up for the child to see. And they don't have to be, they don't have to be like 20 pages long. There might be like seven or eight, nine key rules of the household. And when your child breaks the rules and and you give them a consequence, you point to the, you can explain to them the reason you're getting a consequence is because you broke the, this is the rule of the household. Look on the refrigerator. It's right there. It's all spelled out as, as to what the rules are in this household. And that that actually cuts down on the arguing and the fighting, because mm-hmm. if the rules aren't spelled out, then the, then the, in the child's mind, every time you give them a consequence, it's it's as if you made up that rule in the spot and you gave them a consequence, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't work. Moving removing the the rules makes them almost like a third party, where it's not because they're getting a consequence because you did this to me. It's because you, you're getting a consequence because you broke this thing called the rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's why you're getting a consequence. It's like, it's the same thing with like, I like to use the speeding example when the, if a police officer pulled you over and gave you a speeding because you're going too fast, but there's no signs, there's no posted speed limit. You're going to get, you're going to get an argument every time with that police officer, because you're going to argue over what the speed limit ought to be. The police officer is very thankful that there's a rule out there that says the speed limit mm-hmm. 70 miles an hour, you were going 85 Therefore, you're getting a ticket. Kind of cuts down on the arguing. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook and audiobook formats and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that by emphasizing the standards of behavior, if we even take the word rule out of it, but what yeah. is the standard of how we treat each other in our home, then I'm depersonalizing my child's misbehavior, that I'm not anymore seeing this as an attack on me or an affront on me, but I'm simply there sort of like an officer to just enforce, no, these are our standards. And that keeps me from getting emotionally sucked into it. Because I think what's happening, you know, when, when you hear a child say, I hate you, or I don't have to, or whatever it is they're going to throw at us, there is this gut moment that's like just kind of takes the wind out of your sails for a second. And it's very difficult in that moment to know exactly how to respond. Mm -hmm. And by what you're saying, though, is saying, you know what, if we're looking at it as this child is breaking our standards, then it is my job to simply come in and say, I am sorry, we do not 
behave that way in this household. These are our standards. This is where we move in terms of accountability. Kimball, would you talk a little more though about instances where we may have a child, especially maybe a teen who's bigger than us, um, or even maybe a younger child who is just physically out of control. You mentioned earlier throwing things or flailing their bodies around those types of things. Those can be super scary scenarios. And I know right in that moment is not the time that we're going to be able to communicate these things effectively to them. How do we help guide our kids to a space where their emotions are more regulated so that then we can move into some of the accountability and consequences? Well, part of it again is, is the, is the, if keeping the consistency on, because you, you don't want to to get to that point, but it can often get to that point. Mm-hmm. And there always has to be a consequence for abuse and, and violent behavior like that. Uh, but you need to put together, if, if you're actually scared of your child, and this, this happens a lot, we, we do recommend that you find a local resource that you talk to about it. And then you need to do some very practical things. You need to put a safety plan in place mm-hmm. as to what's going to happen next time. Like you may have to leave the house if you're actually scared of your child. You, you need to figure out what that is. And you can explain to your child what's, what's going to happen if they're violent towards you. Um, we also recommend, and this, this gets controversial, but we re- we recommend that if you actually are scared of your child, that you proactively contact your police department and ask them, what should I do mm-hmm. in, in the case of this? And depending on where you live, there, there's a lot of places where, where you can work very effectively with them and they'll explain to you what you ought to do in those situations. Um, so that's also a possibility. If, if you can't enforce the rules and there's like, especially if there's violence involved, you might have to get a third party involved. Mm-hmm. And we also remind parents that there are siblings involved. When you have when you have when you have one child who's who's violent and destructive, it's they become the center of your attention, and you mm-hmm. have other kids that you have to protect emotionally and physically. So that's that's part of the safety plan, but it's also part of of you worry about that child, but you have other people you need to consider in the household that you need to be protecting as well. So those those become very very difficult situations. Um, but again, you need to. The thing that we tell parents, we, we do coaching with parents and people can find local resources. When this is happening on a regular basis and you have concern about it, one of, one of, the, one of the things that is really helpful is you can plan ahead of time what you're going to do so that you're not surprised hmm. and you have a plan in place. So we, we, our coaches will work with parents on setting up, for example, menus of consequences so that when the child does something for the 10th time, you're not winging it. You, mm-hmm. you know what you're going to do ahead of time. If the child starts to get violent, you have a plan in place as to what you can do ahead of time. And you can work with a professional on, on setting that up so that you're not dealing with this from scratch and you have no idea you know, what to do. So, so you want to take advantage of the fact that these are patterns of behaviors and mm-hmm. develop your response ahead of time. And you actually go into it much, and much more calmly. If you have a plan in place when it happens, you, t- you kind of get into execution mode as opposed to reactive. Yeah. Like screaming mode, it actually can make the situation worse because mm-hmm. you have to be thinking about how do I how do I ratchet things down a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and getting into getting into a screaming fight with a child like that is not is not a helpful situation because I mean we've pointed this out before it sounds it sounds silly but if screaming worked, parenting would be easy you just mm-hmm. scream at your kids and then they behave, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't we actually we got, we know that doesn't work and sometimes it makes situations worse so I think this proactive aspect has been transformational for me. Because in being able to know how I want to respond ahead of time, I'm able to really easily just go to sort of my toolkit and take out the one that seems to be what fits the situation. 
and then just stick to it. So kind of using a broken record, even sort of approach where if a child is continuing to just try to up the ante to get me to get involved, to get me to lose my cool, then I can just continue very flatly. Just, you know what, if you're going to yell at me, I'm not going to be able to talk to you. You know, we will deal with this once you've calmed down and, you know, I'm going to be over here and we will talk about this when things have, when you've mellowed out a little bit or, you know, whatever is needed to sort of Mm -hmm. take the thing down. And I think one of the things about depersonalization is so, that's so critical is recognizing that some of this is even a bid for attention or a bid for power and seeing, can I, do I have the power to take you into this with me? And by denying them that, that's one of the ways that they can learn to stop using this problem solving skill. And once they've calmed down, perhaps then come into more of a space where we're able to have dialogue and communicate, where we're moving out of just explosiveness and behavior acting out and go into a place that is more of actually talking about the problems and recognizing that they need something more to deal with the problem. And that's really what's underneath all of this. But you know, when it comes to that toolkit, sometimes this is trial and error. And we're not going to do this perfectly. And I think when we have a kid who, though, is really acting out and is really struggling, we may fear that like every in every instance, every interaction is like life or death. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. And maybe you can you can help coach our parents. <laughs> and in fact, the way you said that with sort of a calm voice is how you want to talk to your child. You know, a big part of our programs is how do you talk to your child? But the depersonalization is is critical. And I, you basically articulated what James Lehman put down to a nice phrase, which is the mm. first phrase I ever heard him say, which is that you don't have to attend every argument that you're invited to. Mm. And your child is very often trying to drag you into a fight because that's where they, you're, they're bringing you down to that level. And if you work, you know, if you work at a company, the CEO is never going to get into a screaming fight with with one of the workers or the, the principal, you don't walk into a school and see the principal screaming at a child, you know, do this, do that. It doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. They, they won't even come down to that level. So as a parent, when you're dealing with a child like that, you need to, you need to stay away and RSVP no to the fights when your child mm-hmm. is trying to drag you down to their level. It's, mm-hmm. the only, it's the only thing in life they actually, especially for younger kids, they, yeah. they don't really have any power in the world, not in charge of anyone. Right. But they're very often in charge of their parents because they have this ability to drag their parents into a fight. And we call those power struggles and bring mm-hmm. them down to that. And, and one of the most important things to do is to not engage in those. When your child's trying to do that, you stop, you say, I, you, know, you can't talk to me that way. I'm not going to argue about this. I'm not going to get into a screaming match. And you turn around and you walk away. Mm. And they'll, very often we'll follow you, but you have mm-hmm. to like say, I'm not talking to you until, until things are more calm and we're not going to fight about it. And you disconnect. And disconnecting is very powerful because because the fighting becomes their problem solving skill. And that's one way you cut out. But you mentioned the other thing about depersonalizing is it's, you know, one of our, one of our um, uh, most popular articles is entitled, I hate you, mom. I wish you were dead. Mm-hmm. And our kids will say horrible things to us. And we urge parents to see those horrible things that they say to us as a behavior problem and don't take it personally. They're struggling with something and they're taking it out on you as the parent who's the, who's the authority in their household who's setting the limits. 
and view it as a behavior problem because it really is. And, and they would attack whoever it was that was in that situation. And as a parent, you have a role, you have a, you have a responsibility to set limits for your kids and they're not going to like it. Mm-hmm. We, we all want to have this wonderful, like hugging, loving relationship with your child. But when your child is struggling with behavior issues and problem solving issues, that's not our role. Mm-hmm. Our role is to set limits, to coach them, to try to bring them along to the point where you can actually have that relationship. And no one else is going to be their parent for them. So, so you have this role and it's sometimes difficult and it is your, it is your role and it's important. And when they swear at you, we, we urge parents, don't take it personally, view it as a behavior problem and things will be much more effective. And, and honestly, no one says the worst things in the world that anyone says to each other are usually family members. Mm. We, we treat our family and mm. our loved ones probably way worse than we treat strangers, probably mm. because strangers have significant consequences, like they'll never talk to you again. Mm-hmm. But within families, we, you know, there's some of that. And, and obviously we don't, we, we're not going to not talk to our child again, but we need to set limits and not engage in stuff that's not appropriate. And the other, the other key thing about not taking it personally is that we see so many times these kids with the right approach, they turn things around. And in the past, they might have said something really horrible to you, but they've turned things around. And if you take it personally, it makes it so hard to offer your child grace mm-hmm. for what they said to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a really it's it's such a terrible place to be when you can't offer your child grace mm-hmm. because they had a behavior problem and they swore at you, they said horrible things to you. You want to be able to you want to be able to offer your child forgiveness and grace and just say, I understand you, you've improved and you're better now. Let's move on from there. And just and wipe the slate clean. And you can't do that if you're taking it personally. So I love this point that you're bringing up about grace because this is what the Bible specifically is speaking to when it's talking about overlooking an offense. And when we can recognize that my child is doing this to try to solve a problem, my child has something else that's bothering them, I am the adult in the room, yep. then we have the ability to say, well, this whole thing is actually quite lopsided. So I can overlook this. I can't, I'm not going to forget it. I'm not going to just let it drop and be nothing. I have to hold the child accountable. But I think one of the things that has helped me in, in growing in this is actually learning how to get better with boundaries. And it started more in the sense of adult and romantic relationships and family relationships. But I recognized that some of my problem in parenting was that as you're talking about setting limits, I just had a general problem with accepting poor behavior and setting limits in my life. And once I started to work at boundaries in those adult relationships, I looked at my kids and thought, huh, this is the same thing. It is the <laughs> you same know? thing. It really is. And it's, but, it, but boundaries can sometimes be confusing. Like, what does that really mean? And all that. And that's why I went to standards of behavior that it's like, what am I, what am I, what are, what am I allowing around me? What are the standards by which I will allow myself to be treated? And that removes the motivation aspect. I think a lot of times if you struggle with boundaries, it's because we look at a person's motivations and say, well, you know, they maybe they didn't really mean that, or maybe they did it. Like we know that maybe there is something really under the surface, but we use that then to just completely bypass the accountability part and we drop the whole thing. Yeah. Or that's where we go in and we overcompensate. And we are the ones who are like, oh, well, they need some help, you know. So I'm gonna go in and and you know. Uh, that's how I'll show grace in this scenario. And what you're talking about, though, is something a mentor shared with me years and years and years ago uh, about how Jesus came in grace and truth. Mm. 
-hmm. And that truly for us to be effective in all kinds of relationships and especially in our parenting, we have to recognize that grace is going to require us to apply truth. And that's where having these standards and enforcing them allows us to approach our child with compassion and say, hey, I know you're having a problem, but you can't treat me that way. And that's grace and that's truth put together. And when I mean grace, what I what I mean is, you know, offering undeserved forgiveness. Like mm. you forgive them for what they've done, even though they haven't asked for it. Like they mm. haven't like they don't necessarily deserve it. They said horrible things to you. How do you take that back? Mm. And they don't have to take it back. You can just mm. you can just say, you know, that's I understand why you did it. I, I it's in the past. It doesn't matter. We're, mm. we're, we're moving forward. Mm. So it's, it's the, it's the one place on non-Christian podcast that I can, I can, yes. <laughs> I can evangelize in a way well, and then like for them, it's like news, you know, and I'm like, it's not just news. It's good news. Oh, it's great news. <laughs> and it's like, how do you parent without it? I don't know. How do you live exactly. without it? I don't know. <laughs> it is, but it's, 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 um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's the thing that for me, it's the, it's the most, it's the thing I, I, like talking about the most, which is because it's all tied into that guilt thing and everything else, which yes. is, which is how we feel about our child who's struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult, difficult place to be, which is why we're having these conversations. Yeah. Kimball on the other side of this though. So we talk about discipline, talk about consequences. Sometimes this can feel like all we are doing in our parenting. And this can feel not only like it's depleting us, but it can keep us from really being able to enjoy not just the other siblings, as you mentioned, or the other children, but enjoy this child, even though they may be struggling with some things. How can we find some equilibrium and some balance and make the best out of the times where we are not having to engage in addressing behaviors to help our child come through these things? So one of the things that we like to uh, recommend is that if you, when you have a child with a behavior problem, like you feel like you're correcting them all the time and you're, mm-hmm. you're doing the consequences, but they actually aren't doing bad things all the time. Maybe it's only 90% of the time. Maybe it's only 70% of the time, but it's enough that it, that, that it becomes all consuming for you, but they're actually doing things that are okay. Mm-hmm. And we, we tell parents to look for those things, look for them and point it out to them and say, I loved the way that you got frustrated with your sister and, and you know, you walked away and left her alone instead of like fighting or doing whatever. Or I liked Mm -hmm. how you, you know, Hey, you got to school on, I noticed you got to school on time the last three days in a row or got up without a problem. That that's great. I like how you're doing that point out, make a point to point out to them when they're doing something correct, correctly and, and give them positive feedback on it because these kids are getting negative feedback all the time. Yeah. They get it. I mean, to death, they're getting negative feedback and that's, they already have enough like issues with solving problems, but they're getting constant negative feedback. So this, this sort of the positive approach when they actually do something well, you need to point it out mm-hmm. and you don't always want to, I mean, you're pointing out something positive and encouraging someone who yesterday or the day before might've been swearing at you. So it's just, yeah. you just have to be mindful of that is to, is to, is to not only hold them accountable for the inappropriate behaviors, but when they do something right, point it out to them and you don't have to go over the top. You don't, because they won't believe like, yeah, just not over <laughs> they the top. Just see go, through that, right? <laughs> they do. And, and you want to be yeah. business-like about everything you want it when they're not doing something well or correctly or, or doing something abusive. You just, you want to calmly in those situations, deal with it. And likewise, when they're doing something right, just calmly point it out Just say, Hey, I really liked how you, you know, Mm. how you dealt with your sister back then. Good job. Mm. And leave it at that. That's really good. And that's a very helpful thing. So these kids need that. They, they do need that because they, they want, they want, they're trying sometimes you don't notice it and you don't, and you may not Mm. realize it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so they need the feedback when they're doing something well. I appreciate what you're talking about with this business-like approach, because I think very often the child who is going to be watching you enough to know where the loophole is to go in and exploit it is also the one who's going to be very distrustful of you if you get to like celebratory about the whole thing. And so just by saying, hey, I see you, I notice you, and I appreciate that and continuing on, there's a trust that's built there and a rapport that's built there. And this is where I have seen though, having that proactive approach to discipline helps so much because in those, you know, if it's 70% of the time, then I'm not spending the other 30% consumed with this problem. I know I already have my toolkit. I'm going to put that into place when I need it. So that 30% of the time I can spend just observing and appreciating and moving on with the rest of my time with this child. And then the other, the other in this, in that same area, the other thing we would suggest to parents is that this this is actually hard to do, but you can train yourself. It's 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 doable. I've learned I learned over the years how to how to do this much better. Because when it was first introduced to me, I'm like, that's crazy. That is not going to work. And that is, we have a little voice in our head that's talking to us all the time, and it's generally not a nice voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More often than not, it's negative. And we tell parents that if you're if you are imagining a fight with your child in your head, you're going to have it. Oh, when the same thing with spouses, same thing with any relationship, if, if you're in your head, you're having that fight before you have it, you're going to have it. You need mm-hmm. to like, you need to try to get that little voice to relax, work on that little voice to relax. <laughs> that little voice is egging you on. That little voice mm. is like, is like the, it's rehearsing, is, right? <laughs> it is. It's rehearsing and it's, yeah. it's going to drag you down until you have mm. that fight. And the, the person's often not expecting it. Like where'd that come from? And, yeah. and they don't realize you've been fighting with that person for the last three hours. Mm. And mm. now they're finally getting it. And I'm guilty of this. I've seen it. I've seen it happen where I've had a fight with my wife. Mm-hmm. In my head, yeah, for three hours, and then finally it comes out. <laughs> yes. like, where did that come from? Yes, and we do it with our kids. We do it with a lot of stuff. So when you when you're aware of that, there are ways you can shut that off. Yep, not all the time. We're not yeah. perfect, right? So yes. not all the time, but you can shut it off. Maybe seventy percent of the time, maybe fifty yeah. percent of the time, but make it better. Yeah, my favorite way to do that is pray. <laughs> exactly. You can. Yeah. I'm like, I can rehearse this, or I could just say, "Lord, <laughs> I need a lot of help with that's, this situation right now." <laughs> that's a perfect time to, to pray for for how to, you know, and 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 actually, that happens like when you're praying and you're, when you're talking to God in that situation. That mm-hmm. voice is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. That voice doesn't want to. That voice doesn't want to be in that conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's so good. I think too for me, I've seen where. If I'm doing that, then in those rehearsing times, then when I get the wind knocked out of me, when I have that deep breath moment, I'm already in the practice of prayer so that I can, before I let something stupid come out of my mouth, I can say, Lord, I need your help with this. And it's just everything to remember that he is empowering me. He can give me the wisdom to do this. He promises that he will, that if I'm going to seek that. And so it's sort of, you know, your off season or your, you know, practice, you know, sort of, of rhythm so that when it's game time yep. that you're able to step into that. And you can pray in the car on the way home from work. That's often mm-hmm. what that's often we'd call them the transition times that mm-hmm. are hard. You mm-hmm. come home from work, they're coming up from school. That's usually when a lot of things happen. You can, yeah. it's a good time to pray. Mm, it's really good. Kimball, I really appreciate all of the insights that you've shared with us in this conversation. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And if it, it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? It's, it's to realize you're not responsible for your child's behavior. Your child's responsible for their behavior. And to be hopeful that 
the vast majority of kids figure this out. Mm. They learn and we just need to help them along by holding them accountable and coaching them. But they're the ones responsible and you just need to help them through that process. So it's that mm. whole thing of, of don't take their behavior personally and you're not responsible for it. Mm. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Kimball, would you tell listeners about your resources and how they can follow you? So we're, our website is empoweringparents.com. We have hundreds of, of free articles on these various topics, uh, but all of, all of our work is based on something called the Total Transformation Program, which is an online program. If you come to empoweringparents.com, um, you can sign up and it's really the instruction manual for dealing with with defiant, obnoxious, abusive kids, and it just tells you from A to Z what you need to do because you need because when you have one of these kids, you have to really change your whole approach to how you're dealing with them, and it just tells you step by step how to do that. And it's been amazing, and it, it can turn things around. And it's one of the best things you can do with for your relationship with your child as well because when they start behaving better and and having non abusive behavior, then it it actually allows room for your relationship to grow as well. So, but that that's often the first step. So so we have the total transformation program you can sign up for. And in conjunction, we offer parent coaching. Very often talking to a family member or a friend, is, is a, it's a kind of a difficult place to be at times. If you have that person, that's a blessing. Oftentimes, those are areas of judgment that that's difficult place to be. So if you need to talk to, to someone who's separate there, we have a coach who actually is trained in all the programs and you can work with the coach as well. Great. And I will include links in the show notes Perfect. so that listeners can find those. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kimball. It was so great sitting down and talking to you. Thank you, Michelle. If you found this conversation helpful, I've got a couple others I can suggest for you. You might like episode 66, Responding to Your Kid's Need for Freedom with Dr. Tim Kimmel. You may also want to check out episode 88, Anxiety in Our Kids, Identifying Worry and Giving Your Child the Tools to Thrive with Sissy Goff. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.